You're listening to The No Name Photo Show, the podcast dedicated to lively conversations about the creativity, business, and technology of photography. I'm your host, Brian Matias. Let's chat. Well, welcome, everyone, to episode number 46 of The No Name Photo Show. My name is Brian Matias. Uh, I'm actually very excited to have a very good friend of mine who I've known for, for many years. In fact, we've had conversations trying to figure out how long we've known each other and I'm sure many people out there kind of can relate to that where I'm not quite when I'm not even sure when we met, if it was through Flickr days or before then, you know, when we were all on it was in the blog days, it was the pro photo blog days. Um, but so, yeah, let me just kind of get it out there. I'd like to welcome to the show, my very good friend and photographer, James Brandon, James, why don't you tell uh, everyone a little bit about yourself? Hey guys, I'm a photographer living down here in uh, Fort Worth, Texas where Brian uh, has never visited. And I've been doing this for, I guess, uh, around a decade now. Came from the banking world and started uh, doing commercial stuff, weddings, whatever would pay the bills. And I guess for the last five to six years of that decade, I've been doing the educational side where, uh, you know, I, I discovered pretty early on that we could make money online doing stuff like uh, ebooks and stuff. And, and I loved teaching. Like I started writing for digital photography school and eventually wrote an ebook on um, called tax sharp. And that was kind of the, the launching pad for the educational side of my business. And I started doing that and video courses. And uh, then we started doing workshops, which uh, you've done some of those with me. Yep. And, um, so yeah, it's it's been a crazy ride uh, with no no roadmap or instruction book, and uh, then as we'll get to, uh, some crazy stuff happened this year, which kind of changed uh, the course again. Yeah, and and that's kind of that's what this episode's about. Where I was thinking about this this kind of topic the other day, and then it immediately kind of became clear that I called James up. You know, I reached out to see if he'd be willing to to be a guest to talk about it because here's the thing, and I, I'm pretty sure most everyone can relate to this. Where every time I see or hear, I, I see a story or I hear a story about someone, odds the direction that they're going is they're moving from they have a full time job or you know a few part time jobs, and they're like, you know what, I I'm going to make I'm going to make a go at it as a professional photographer and they quit, you know, they, they, so they can focus all their time, all their energy on building their business. Cause this is a very time intensive and laborious uh, enterprise to, at least if you want to try to make it successful. So you always hear this thing of like people kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to make it and I'm going to leave, you know, my, the, the, you know, what comes with a full-time job, James, you've got, you've got a, a, a salary that you get, either every week, every two weeks, or every month, but you know that you get this amount of money every time. You get benefits, right? You get, right. Like, uh, you know, uh, some some places give you retirement funds all, and all these things that security. come. What's that? Security. Yeah, exactly. You get security and, and there's a kind of a, yeah, there, I think that, that consistency, there's a, there's something there that's, definitely you know not for everyone there are some people who are born to be like i think nicole is a born you know born to be a self-employed kind of solopreneur but what you don't hear of and again this is why i'm really excited to have you on uh, because i I think that this is a conversation that should be had more often uh, is when someone decides to go the other direction meaning professional photography has been their full-time you know, whether it's a vocation or the profession, their livelihood for, you've said like a decade now, and you make a decision. And I want to talk about those decisions, those factors to say, you know what, I'm, I, I miss the, um, the security of a full-time job. I don't want to necessarily have to wonder if next month's going to be a super slow month because X, Y, Z doesn't sell or you know, I have to do all these workshops and you, you know, you've got a, so you've got a family, right? James, you have like a wife and kids, right? Yep. Wife and two boys, four and six. Yeah. So that's a time of, uh, in their lives where, man, you want to be home. You don't want to be jet setting around. Right. Right. So, yeah. And that was a big part of it. 
Okay, so let's talk about this. For, well, actually, no, let's not. Let's start the typical way. You you kind of mentioned you were working at a bank before you, it was a full-time job, right? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, before kids. I was, um, I guess, 23, 24, and we were fairly, uh, no, I was I was 22, actually, I guess, man. And, um, you know, we were newlyweds, uh, young, not, uh, too many responsibilities. And I was a, I was a personal banker at bank of America and I was doing stuff like, uh, opening personal accounts, business accounts. I was a mortgage loan officer doing stuff like that, uh, home equity loans, mortgages. And, um, you know, first of all, I hated it. <laughs> it's just, it, it's not my personality. If you know me at all, um, just going to work and dressing up in a suit and tie and having to meet sales quotas and stuff like that. It, it just wasn't me at all. And uh, I was able to fake it for a while. Uh, I hit my goals um, every time and I was, I was decent at it, but uh, I was dead inside. <laughs> I just, <laughs> yeah. I hated that. Soul sucking. And yeah. And it was right around that time also that I discovered um, Dave Ramsey and we started getting out of uh, working our way towards getting out of debt. And when you're trying to get out of debt um, after work and selling debt while you're at work, uh, it, it's not going to last for very long. So I needed to find a way out. And I discovered um, that I love photography on a trip that I took with my wife and her family. And um, I saw that as a potential out. So I just got to work, uh, would take pictures of families from our church and uh Eventually, they told their friends, and it just you know it just grows organically. So how, after a while, I was able to yeah, good. Well, how long from when you the, you know the first couple of gigs? Or oh, let me rephrase: How long did you maintain your full time position, your full time job at, at Bank of America, before you decided to uh, go full time as a photographer? It was probably about eight months. I think I started. I started the business and. About two months after that, I was already at a point where I could see the potential of of quitting. Like, not that I wasn't there yet; I wasn't even close. But I could see, like, hey, if I kept working at this, I could get to a place, you know. Because again, we were young; we didn't have kids; we didn't have a whole lot of uh, overhead. We had a, a pretty cheap house. Our mortgage was like six hundred and fifty a month or something like that on mm-hmm. our first house. And um, after about two months, I I told him my, my, uh, manager, what I wanted to do. And they were great. Like they, they gave me six months to go to a part-time position, uh, for a full-time job. Like I was a personal banker and they let me do that part-time, which is unheard of that that's not a part-time role. And they allowed me to do that for six months while I tried to build the business to see if that's what I wanted to do. And, um, after six months they said, Hey, time's up. Like you got to make a choice to either come back full-time or, or put in your two weeks notice. So I put it in. And so after that, what was the journey like for the first, you know, you'd mentioned that you started doing um, as far as uh, photographing kind of more of the, the family portrait, those kinds of gigs. And then you graduated on to doing, um, creating content, uh, digital content. And then you moved also, you, you, I, I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the more lucrative uh, avenues of your business ha- has been the workshops. So why don't you yeah. kind of like walk, you know, I would like to understand then like what the the business model was, you know, you say, you said you saw opportunities, you see like, Oh, I can make this happen. What was it that, cause I, one, I mean, I do think it is, I think it, people would enjoy to, to understand the, the rationale, the mindset of someone who's thinking, you know, at that time was like, I'm going to go and, and uh, make a, you know, full-time job out of it. You know, I have my own stories about it, but I, I, I would like, you know, I, I want to hear yours. Yeah. So I was doing whatever would pay the bills, right? I was doing weddings. I was doing senior sessions. I was doing family photos. I was doing newborns. I was doing a few commercial gigs and I realized pretty quick that I hated that too. <laughs> so I left a job that I hate hated uh, to pursue a dream of being self-employed. And I was self-employed, but I was doing something that w- wasn't making me passionate. Like some people love shooting weddings and that's fine. But for me, 
it was soul sucking just as just like selling mortgages was. And I think a lot of that came down to the fact that when you're doing client work, you're not necessarily creating for yourself anymore. You're creating for a client and they would tell you like what kind of look they wanted and and stuff like that. So you're not really being a hundred percent creative anymore. And I think that was a big part of it. But the other part was just that as a guy, as a knuckle dragging typical guy that I am sometimes the idea of like meeting a, a bride and groom at a Starbucks and saying like, Oh, tell me how you got engaged. Like, I want to hear the story. That's when not inside, you. I'm like, yeah. When inside I'm like, Oh, like get me out of here. Sure. Like, I just, I, listen, I'm with you that I've shot two weddings, Yeah. you know, where I was, it was my gig. And those were two mm-hmm. more weddings than I ever should have shot. Yeah. I delivered everything. <laughs> the couples were happy. And, but if I'm with you there, I just, that is why I like yeah. photographing mountains and waterfalls, but, but go exactly. ahead. Yeah. They don't talk back. They don't talk they don't, back. And the thing, the weird thing is, is that I actually loved shooting weddings because it's like a, most of them were a, a ton of fun and it's like a huge party. It was the before and after that I couldn't stand, but, but somewhere along the way, uh, I started a photography blog, which introduced me to people like you. I, I think that we decided on how we met was I had found your blog and I think I reached out to you because I was doing, I was trying to establish my name in some shape, way, shape or form in the photography industry. And um, I had started this series on my blog called uh, The Artist Spotlight, I think. And uh, I asked you to be on it. I had never heard, I had never talked to you before. So it was a total cold call and you were uh, awesome enough to say yes. And that, uh, that kind of started us talking. And then I think through you, I met uh, other people in our little uh, eventual circle of blogs that Mm -hmm. we always commented on each other's blogs and stuff. And, um, you know, around that time we all got into HDR and, I, we all thought that we were good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, oh yeah. Yeah. And then I stumbled onto digital photography school. And so I had, I had read a few articles on there before, and I think I saw some sort of uh, advertisement that they needed writers. So, um, this is, I think there's a lot of value. I don't know what made me do this, but, um, for anybody who's trying to get into a website to write for them, I think this is a good tip. Um, instead of just cold calling DPS, uh, cold calling for lack of a better term, I, I emailed them. Uh, instead of just emailing them and saying like, hey, I want to write for you. What I did was I I reached out to Darren uh, and I asked him first if they still needed writers. They responded yes. Um, and instead of just trying to get my foot in the door, I wrote a three-part series. And it was called like... A, uh, we could look it up if we had to, but I think it was like the beginner's guide to HDR photography or something like that. And instead of doing just one, I made it a three-part series. So instead of just asking him if I could write for him and then having to like submit something and see if it got approved, I told him I already had like a three-part series ready to go and I just sent it to him. So all the work was done. Like he just had to decide if they wanted to put it up or not. And since HDR was a uh, an emerging kind of hot topic, it was sort of a no-brainer for him since they didn't have much of that content on there already. So that got my foot in the door with DPS. So, and um, well, and just yeah. to tell everyone, DPS and Digital Photography School, that's, it's digital-photography-school.com, if I remember correctly. It's a major right. website. Odds are you already know about it. It's up there with Petapixel and, and F-Stoppers, um, but it's a major photography hub yeah. with staff writers who contribute, you know, stories. And you get paid based mm-hmm. on view counts or the depends the changes, but it is a an interesting quasi passive uh, quasi passive revenue stream. You know, yeah. you, you know, if you, you write an article, you're going to create the content one way or the other. If I put a, a story on my blog, I'm not making a dime off of it. Other, you know, I'll get view counts, but there at least you know you get some money. So um, yeah. now things have changed. It was kind of the wild wild west back then in in the blogging world and the floodgates were open. So once I got in with DPS, I could write an article. I could do a review for Topaz Labs, for example, and I could put my own affiliate link 
inside the article. Oh, wow. Make, yeah, that, that is wild, like, wild west. Yeah. Yeah. I could make hundreds of dollars just off of that one article. And um, so, yeah, it was it was much better back then. And yeah. uh, those floodgates have closed permanently. So uh, it's not quite what it used to be. But um, so uh, let's but what use, that did. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say what that did getting in with DPS, uh, whether I deserved it or not, it gave me instant credibility in the photography world because DPS is such a huge site, has four to five million unique hits a month. Um, I think back then even it was like three million. And um, it gave me a, a pedestal that I could you know, teach from. I could start teaching people how to do photography. And um, eventually, because of that, I was able to reach out to people uh, to do reviews. So one of the people I reached out to was Trey Ratcliffe. And I was able to form a, a relationship with him through that. And then he asked me to write an ebook for his website that he had at the time, uh, Flatbooks. Right. Yeah. So I decided instead of, I looked at all the ebooks on their site and a lot of them were like very niche, like very specific topics. So I wanted to do something a bit broader. So I came up with the idea of like this ebook called Tax Sharp, which was all about how to get sharper images uh, out of your camera. And who doesn't want to know that? Like, <laughs> like every beginner to intermediate photographer wants to know how to get sharper images out of their camera. So that's what I decided to write it on. And it, um, it did really well. So that was kind of how I discovered, like I had this aha moment that like, Oh, I could create an ebook that has like zero overhead. I could sell it an infinite amount of times and there's no additional cost to me besides the intangible stuff, like, like cloud server space and weird stuff like that. But yeah, min there uh, is minimal overhead for a digital uh, online business or, or like ours. Yeah. You know, hosting yeah, and many. if you choose to, 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 to advertise on, you know, there's, there's a marketing budget that you, you give and, and that kind of stuff. And then of course uh, the newsletters, which is um, a huge component I, I know for both of our businesses. Yep. So you get to this point now that you, uh, you, you hedged your bets and it's looking now like through a variety, uh, you did something that I think not many photographers do. And I wrote about this several times. So I, I write for F-stoppers. You wrote for DPS. I, I about uh, six weeks ago started writing for F-stoppers and I wrote about the importance of, of establishing diversified uh, revenue streams as a photographer, especially if you're one like us who kind of you're, we, we create content. We don't do commercial gigs. It's not like, you know, REI or North Face is banging down my door to, for me to shoot their, their products. And I never right. tried that. It's not something either of us ever did. We create content. Nor would you want to if they came knocking. No, I, I wouldn't. I, I would not. That, that kind of pressure to me, that's not my wheelhouse in, in photography. My, my wheelhouse is, is engaging with people and creating content and, and helping people grow. That, that's what I've kind of determined is my wheelhouse. And I'm sure that's the same for you and same for other photographers, again, like Nicole and, and you know, our ilk. But at, was there a point... We've already established you're kind of, you know, we, we kind of covered or, or, or if anything kind of foreshadowed where you are now. But what I'm interested in is there, it's like any movie kind of thing where like you have kind of the origin story and then there's some sort of a, I don't know, conflict or a change or an arc begins mm -hmm. and that arc goes up and for a time it plateaus and things are, are hunky dory. But eventually, like gravity, everything comes kind of down. <laughs> or at least it kind of normalizes to some semblance of okay, this is life. We need to we need to make the right decisions. Mm -hmm. At what point, if there was a a point, or was there just something that did a, did something build up where you're like, you know what, uh, kind of the opposite. Like there was a point where you're like, you know what, I think I could do this. To is there a point where you're like, you know what, I'm not sure I want to. I can do this, but I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. Um, it, right. you know, is that something that, that happened, you know, that you can share? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, as you know, man, I'm, I'm an open book, so I'll, I usually share too much <laughs> and get in trouble later. But, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if there was a defining moment where I decided I wanted out because I'm not out. Right. Like I'm still doing it 
I'm still doing photography, uh, just not in a full-time manner anymore. But, um, and for, for some of people listening who already know me, uh, this might come as a shock to them because I haven't really announced this anywhere, but, um, I think it was just kind of a gradual over time. Uh, I was becoming jaded with what it took to be successful in our industry because as a self-employed photographer, especially in the landscape and travel field, uh, more than anything else, you're marketing yourself, like sure. you're selling yourself. Sure. Whether whether you're shooting for North Face or REI or selling ebooks, like you're marketing yourself so that people will will hire you or buy stuff from you. And you know, I did have this moment. I was leading a a workshop in uh, Hawaii on the island of Kauai, and I remember I was sitting in a doors off helicopter over the Nepali coast. And it was probably like my third or fourth flight. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I'm not taking any pictures. Like, this is weird. Like I'm not bored, but you could almost use that word because I, I've done several of these flights. I'm not going to take a picture unless, um, unless something like really jumps out at me. Like I wasn't bored. I was just, not in a hurry to press the button. Sure. And I was thinking how ridiculous that was. And I decided I was just going to kind of like take it in and enjoy the scenery. And then this thought crept into my head, like I need to share this. Like I need to, I need to take a video or take a photo or something like that on my phone so I can put it up on Instagram or something like that. You need to share what you need to share this, this, this revelation or you need to share like that you're on an airplane or on a helicopter. I need to share that I'm on a helicopter, you know, over the Nepali coast. And I decided not to do it. I just put my phone back in my pocket, but I got back and that kind of that whole path that my mind took on the helicopter kind of stuck with me. And I started kind of trying to dissect it. And I, I think the reason that I put the phone back in my pocket was because I had, I started thinking like, if I put this photo up on Facebook, like, what am I doing? Am I, trying to inspire people to like go to Kauai? Am I trying to inspire them to like sign up for a workshop? Or am I saying like, look what I'm doing that you're not? Sure. And, and then I thought like, it doesn't really matter which of those are true. It matters what, it, how it comes off to the people seeing it. Because I, I don't know who said it or if anybody said it, but I heard this one thing that like who you are is not who you think you are. It's who others perceive you to be. Sure. And if there's like a person in, you know, Oklahoma that sees that picture and let's say they're, um, you know, let's say it's a single mom and she's working two jobs trying to provide for her, you know, four kids and, she could never dream of going to Hawaii. Uh, certainly not in the near future. Like just seeing that photo, like what does that do to her? You know? Yeah, I get it. You're kind of like, not that the, you like, worry like that I'm, Yeah, I'm not saying like, yeah, I think there's value in sharing these photos. But I also don't think that people think enough about the darker side of it that there's a lot of people out there that are going to see those and it's going to make them feel worse instead of better. And, you know, there's all these studies coming out from social media. Uh, I pulled several of them up before this cause I was just kind of thinking through it. And, you know, there's, if you just Google like uh, effects of social media, uh, it causes uh, isolation. It causes people to feel worse about themselves. It causes people to compare themselves uh, no matter and, and you know this, we've talked about this before. If you have a thousand followers, you're looking at people with 10,000 followers and feeling bad about yourself. If you have a million followers, you're looking at people with 10 million and wondering why you're not at that level. Cause you're always looking up, you know, it's, so it's just this. Yeah. It, it's just, it never ends. Cause no matter where you are, except for that one guy who's at the top. And I don't know who that is, but it's probably like the rock or something, right? Yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> he's way up there. Like Taylor Swift. 
but yeah. Th- so this is so funny that you bring this up. So this 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 actually happened just like a week ago. Um, I was having a I was chatting on Facebook Messenger with a good buddy of mine. Actually, he was a he's a he was a guest, uh, David uh, ML, who uh, writes for Android Authority. We've become very good friends, chat all the time. And oh, he was in Oregon. I don't think he's been in Oregon. I don't think he's visited yeah. here yet. But that's not the same David that was with us. No, earlier this year. No, no, no. Okay. okay. Um, and so, oh God, yes, yes. Okay, <laughs> he was. Oh my okay. God, yeah, you're absolutely right. If I totally forgot. I spaced. That was before we moved back. Yeah, yeah. So David was here. So you guys met each other. Even better. What a, what a nice little <laughs> serendipitous coincidence. Um, yeah. Hey, David. <laughs> He's actually, I think, in China now. But um, nice. we were chatting, and he, I can't remember if he brought it up. I think he brought it up, and he mentioned, he's like, hey, dude, you're, like, really close to breaking 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. Like, I was at, like, 99.50. And and so I've been, you know, for the past six weeks or so, been putting out every Monday a new video. I record on Sunday, put it out on Monday. And clearly that is, that has been... Um, you know, the feeding the YouTube beast has that. That's what the algorithm's there for. It's like, you know, yeah. okay. And I said, yeah, that's, that's great. You know, he was genuinely excited. And I'm like, that's, you know, that's, I guess that's good. I'm like, but I'm like, you know, there, every video I see, there's someone's got their, their YouTube plaque. You know, yeah. for those that don't know, YouTube content creators, when you reach 100,000 subscribers, YouTube will mail you this like framed um, YouTube play button. And I think the 100,000 is like silver maybe. And then there's a million. And then, God, I think there's like 5 million. Um, but um, it's kind of like one of those, you know, it's a status symbol. It's it's kind of like a verified check mark that everyone always seems to want on social media, you know, yeah. the little Twitter or you Facebook. You put it in your background. You put it in your background. And so that was in my immediate thing. It's like, oh man, you know, I've had a, a YouTube account for, eight years um and i'm granted i've hardly ever did anything with it. it's only been the past couple of years and even then i was very spotty about it um so so he you know i, I kind of mentioned something you know it wasn't a snide remark but it was something that was kind of like oh well yeah that's great but like you know that's i still have to do 10 times that to get to a hundred thousand right and he uh he kind of laid into me in a in a totally friendly way um and, and what was funny was that a day or two after that, I got an email from YouTube with um, like, congratulations, you broke 10,000 subscribers with a little animated GIF and stuff. To me, clearly to me, 10,000 subscribers was something that was not worth celebrating. And that is a very sad state of mind. Uh, because it and it wasn't because I was I thought thought ten thousand wasn't a milestone, but rather exactly like you said, I was just already looking at what do I need to get to a hundred thousand subscribers? It's perspective. It's perspective. It's it's perspective, and it's a it's a in a way it can be very toxic. This social yeah, media. My nephew. Yeah. My nephew. Uh, he's ten, or he was ten at the time when I had like a thousand subscribers subscribers on YouTube, he found my YouTube channel and he thought that I was a celebrity because I had a thousand subscribers, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's, <laughs> and and, yeah, it's, it's all perspective. But that's the thing is like, there's this psychology where like, I met a photographer also recently um, and we were chatting. We were, we went actually out. He is a local photographer. We went out driving uh, on a shoot and he looked at my, Instagram. And I, I, I think I have, I have just a little over like 15,000 subscribers. And he's like, Oh, influencer. And I was, I was like, what? Cause yeah. in my world, 15,000 is, I mean, again, and I'm coming at it from a place of where, when I worked at say like Wacom or Sony or Google, and I was involved in the, you know, I'm working with the marketing teams or the product teams on these kind of ambassador campaigns, work, f- looking for other photographers or looking for other creatives. And you look at, you know, you do look, I mean, of course, now we've wisened up where it's not just your follower count, but it's also kind of like your engagement rate and your the quality of engagement, 
know, are, are you actually having that conversation with people? Um, 15,000 would be like, okay, you know, um, there are maybe a micro, what's called a micro influencer, somewhere, someone between 10 and a hundred thousand followers generally. And so it, it's, it, it is funny how, like, like you said, in arguably the healthier perspective is to be excited and proud, but the more cynical perspective, the one that I was taking, um, and that could be damaging. So, 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 you know, James, we kind of went onto a tangent on that, but like, you, that's kind of where the road you were going, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the road I was going because I, I got to the point where I was just like, what, what's the point of all this, like this social media stuff. And some people are totally reliant on social media to run their businesses. Like the, the true social media influencers who use their followings to uh, bring in brands that will advertise and so on and so forth. Um, but I started looking at within my own business and like my newsletter is the sole provider of, of selling spots for workshops. Like I, I had never sold a spot for a workshop through social media. Um, then I looked at my eBooks and video courses. And, uh, if I was running a deal through like five day deal, as you know, like we used our newsletters to sell those units. And when I came out with a new product on my website, I used my newsletter. It was never social media. Social media might've accounted for 1% of digital products for me. So, you know, the, the whole thing just started, I just started getting a really bad taste in my mouth for it. Just the shameless self-promotion that I saw on a daily basis, the humble bragging, as you and I have talked about plenty, um, you know, talking about all the trips that you're taking in the next few months and sure no i i mean i i I totally and the thing is i feel like part of that uh is people can almost not excuse it to themselves but rationalize that this is what you have to do yeah oh and they do yeah yeah and and because it's a it's a really tough place uh it's i feel like in some cases it's very hard to marry authenticity with the need to self-promote because if you're not going to promote yourself no one else will right and i know that you know a lot of photographers who are trying to make a go at it you know they feel like if i could just get that you know that ambassador program if i can just affiliate with this company like become an artisan Mm -hmm. or, or an explorer of light or or i can tell you that it does from firsthand experience. I mean, only a f- there's a, a a kind of a symbiosis. Both both sides are parasites in in a in a corporate ambassador program. In a, in not in a and I'm not saying that in a derogatory you know way. I'm not trying to to blast anyone, but it really should be a symbiosis. There should be somewhat of a kind of cross or a mutual parasitic relationship because. If you if you think about it, um, a photographer wants to leverage a company's reach, and the company wants to leverage the photographer's reach and their work. That's just the way it is. Uh, right. So so when when you you know you, you you talk to when I talk to some people and and they just don't have the reach, but they still want it. It's it's that. Forget about the that that fact, but there's a. I think there can be a, a psychological effect, a negative psychological effect, um, depending on the person. If the person has a healthy ego, maybe they see that as a challenge. Right. But but if it's someone like me, who doesn't have a healthy ego, um, I take that very personally, you know, and like I, I kind of become um, I beat myself up. So 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 James, you know, to that end, then let's let's just kind of like complete this this circle. You know, yeah. you kind of started touching on. Yeah, so, so social yeah. media was kind of the first uh, thing to to start turning things in a different direction, I suppose. Um, the other was just that, you know, I I was traveling a lot. Um, I think I wasn't traveling near as much as some of the other people in the industry, not even close. But for me, the amount of traveling I was doing, which was probably like eight 
to 10 trips a year or something like that. It was really hard. I've got, I've got a four and a six year old and a wife and, um, I'm the kind of guy that I just love being around my family. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy their presence. I like spending time with them. I don't feel like I need to escape from them. Um, I love my wife. I love my kids. And, and if I, the amount of traveling that I was doing was, was really hard. It, it was killing me to be away from them for so long, you know? So this was something that like, you, you, this was a realization you had. This wasn't something that, that Kristen came to you and said like, Hey, you're, no. you're gone a lot. No, no, it was, it was me being, you know, in a hotel room somewhere, uh, wishing that I was anywhere else, but that hotel room, just wishing that I was at home, you know, with the kids and, realizing that I didn't want to do that as much anymore. And I was going to have to scale back. And uh, in order to scale back, you have to make some decisions, right? Like, cause you, cause that money is going to disappear. So yeah. you're going to have to either replace it or make some sort of a change. So um, I figured at first that I would just, you know, scale the workshops back and then ramp up the other major part of my business, which was the the products, you know, eBooks and, and video courses. And I was working towards that end. Um, but, you know, it, it just, I don't know what it was, but, you know, after a decade of of just grinding it and, and I don't want to make it sound like it was too crazy, but like too much grinding, but I, I we had a successful business. Like mm-hmm. I was, it was a six figure business. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really hurting for money or anything like that, but it was still a grind. Like you had to come up with stuff stay in front of people stay in the front of their minds and keep having new products and update those products on a regular basis. And, um, you know, it, it did wear on me after a while to where, you know, you'd have some big sale come through, uh, like five day deal or something with like on one software or something like that. And then you'd realize that you'd been working on that for, you know, three or four months and now that's over. And now you have to come up with something entirely new. And it's like back to the drawing board, you know, and some people thrive in that environment. And I, I thrived on that, in that environment for years and years and years. But, um, I guess, uh, it started wearing on me and I didn't ever make the decision to, to get out, to get a a job, but, you know, just to wrap this, this arc up, as you put it, um, somehow I, 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 we go to Gateway Church. Uh, it's this it's this big church here in North Texas. Uh, we've got around thirty thousand members uh, across like six different uh, campuses, uh, six different church buildings, basically. And um, somehow I ended up on their website, and I saw I was just going through it, and I saw like a job opportunities uh, tab, and I clicked on it, and I saw this position on there. There was a, it was a video producer position. Now I was not a video producer. Uh, I used video to the same extent that you do. Like we use it to promote our business. We use it to create products. We use it to make YouTube videos. We use it out in the field and, you know, maybe for some other professional use, but, but you've never been on the set as a, as a DP or anything. Right. You know? Right. And so that's, that's totally different. Uh, totally different world, totally different, uh, equipment and, and all kinds of stuff like that. But, you know, I saw that position and I saw the things that they were looking for and it listed all this, uh, random stuff that I was qualified for. So it just seems strange because it wasn't just a standard video position. It was like a video producer position for, um, the stewardship department and uh, a couple other things. Stewardship of course is like their department for, like helping people manage their finances and stuff. So I have a, I had a background in that. They wanted somebody with video experience. I had that. They wanted somebody with uh, some marketing experience. I had that. They wanted somebody that could maybe help create a platform online to deliver these videos and organize them. Like I've, I've never paid somebody to do my website. I've always done my own website work and coding. I, I forced myself to learn all that. So I had that experience. So I filled out like half the application and then I paused for like a minute and then I hit the X really <laughs> and just, just quit out of it. I was like, Nope, it's not for me. Like why? Like, what, 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 so what was it about that? What was that pause? It was just the, the commitment. What do you to, mean to, 
the commitment to potentially leaving the uh-huh. full-time photography behind. Sure. So I, I got halfway through it and then I quit out of it and shut the computer down and, and like left the room. And, uh, I told Kristen, my wife about it. And, um, she was like, you know, that it's probably not a mistake that you ended up there. Like maybe just, you know, think about it, pray about it and, and figure out if, you know, you want to do that. And, I, I think probably like two weeks went by and I was like, if the job position is still up, like that'll be amazing. Cause it's been two weeks and I'm sure that's not a position that nobody's applying for. So I went on there and it was, and then I just decided I'd fill it out and I hit submit and it was the only job that, um, I, I applied for. Like, so I want to s- stress, like I wasn't really looking for a job, right? I wasn't looking for a way out. It was kind of just I ended up on this website and I on a hunch I decided to submit an application and I, my attitude towards towards it was basically like hey if it's if it's meant to be it'll happen like if if I need to transition out of this uh, full time position and into something different like it'll happen and uh, probably several weeks after that I got the call for the first interview I remember I that whole in. process yeah. And I went in and I don't know, I don't know why they chose me. Uh, well, I mean, I've talked to him. I, I've asked a lot of questions about it, but you know, I, I think it probably had a little bit to do with the fact that I just, I wasn't desperate for the job. So I wasn't super nervous. I, I was able to go in there with, you know, some semblance of, of confidence and, and like, here's what I'm capable of. Here's what I can do. And if that'll help you guys out, you know, but, um, I got through to the, to the second interview after that. And then our pastor almost died. <laughs> and the, the guy that I was uh, interviewing with, who's now my boss, was the pastor's son. So obviously that set the hiring process back a little bit. Um, that second interview happened, and then our pastor had a, some health issues where he almost died. He had to be care flighted from his home and all this, all this crazy stuff. That's a long story, but... Um, they basically like froze the position and the hiring process for that. And it was probably like two months after that, that I got my third interview. And because of that, a lot of people that were still in the running, like move had moved on to other things. Sure. You know? But I'm here like, Hey, I'm, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? And I, again, I don't know if that's what led to it. Um, but I think that was certainly a part of it that I was still available and, um, they offered me the position. So, um, I prayed about it a lot. Uh, it was one of the biggest decisions I've ever made, you know, because yeah, people see this as like, like I've talked to friends and stuff. They're like, dude, what? you're leaving behind, like flying in helicopters over Hawaii and, you know, photographing lava and, you know, Banff and sure. All, sure. Go Death Valley and- yeah. You're leaving that behind uh, to go work for the man again. It's like, like I don't see it like that at all. And if I did, I wouldn't have done it. Like I'm not, I'm not working at Inatech, like filling out TPS reports. Sure. <laughs> you know, I'm working for uh, a church that I've been a member at for like seven or eight years now, and I'm doing meaningful stuff. Like that was another thing that I didn't get to before was that a lot of the time, like I doubted myself with the photography side in, in terms of like, what, what is this doing? Like, what difference is this making to anything? You know, like, like I'm taking a picture of this mountain, which was like, that's good for me because I'm, I'm enjoying it. But when you post again, going back to social media, like when you post that, especially in the photography circles, nobody's looking at that thinking like, Oh, what an amazing picture it is. They're looking at it saying, Oh, I could do that better. Sure. You know, or, or man, I wish, I wish I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I completely agree there that there is this, um, it depends on, uh, okay. The, the, first of all, I appreciate that office space reference. Thank you very much. Office space references <laughs> are always welcome at the no name Photoshop. This was something that a lesson that I learned early on. And it's one that I've had to relearn many times because either ego gets in the way or um, 
a lack of confidence will get in the way. But we talked about HDR, early days HDR, Wild West HDR, where it was like, you know, um, eye bleeding, you know, overly saturated halos to the moon uh, HDR. Mm. And we would share. I wrote, I wrote an article real quick for DPS called, do you remember? You were on it. It was like 19 examples of HDR done right. Oh, cool. And I was on it? We, sh we should link to that somehow. Sure. At the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. Absolutely. And see, and see what my idea of HDR done right was. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm worried about it now. But oh, my point is that, like, worried. here's the thing. Um, it's easy to get wrapped up in our own um, whatever, psychosis, where like you say, other photographers who look at that and they're just like either, yeah, I could take it better or man, I wish I was there. They're not really appreciating the photo, the qualities of the photo or the yeah. the, the caption. Yeah. But then there's uh, the, the lesson I learned is that that's only that, that typically because that is the, the, the circle that we are of it is uh, as far as like a relationship or a cardinality, it's a much bigger thing to us when in mm -hmm. reality, the people there are still there are so many more people beyond that circle who might look. I'm talking like say it's a bad HDR. They might look at it and say, "Wow, that is amazing! Like that's oh, yeah. I've never seen these colors before," and they genuinely would love it. And so, if I take that to back to the the business side of things, so 2018 has been a a difficult year, you know, business wise for me. You know, moving to to Nebraska in mid 2017 didn't pan out to be the creative and financial boon. Well, it was a financial boon because cost of living was so, so much less expensive, but uh, creativity took a, a major hit and it really sent me for a, a, in a tailspin for a bit. It wasn't until, you know, we moved back to Portland and that was a huge, um, you know, net gain for us, for our creativity, for our inspiration and stuff like that. But it you know, through conversations that I've had where with, with trusted friends, you being one of them, where I realized that, yes, there are a thousand different products, digital products out there teaching you how to take a better Lightroom course. But there are, none of them are for me with, you know, my particular take on things, my photos, my teaching style, my way of conveying a lesson. And the people who, for instance, stay on my newsletter, and I'm because I'm with you. News social to me, there is, and unless something on my end changes significantly with social media, that is purely kind of a. I treat that as a utility. I just kind of have to do it, and I automate that for the most part. I, I'll I'll check once a day or so um, comments. I don't have notifications from any of my apps. If so, I'll check like in the evening if someone responded, but I automate photos sharing to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that through Buffer. I, I, I created a video about that on YouTube. But my point is that news, the, the newsletter, my newsletter is, is my, my, that is the social media, that's a social network of one. Your social, yeah. your newsletter is all about James. Yeah, so, I've always said that like social media followers are the most passive followers you can find. Because if you think back to like the Google Plus days, like, they don't, if you're on that suggested user list, they don't even know who you are. They just clicked follow this list when they signed up. Right. And so a lot of the time, like they either don't know who you are or they just heard about you or saw something that they liked and they clicked follow. If you can get them to your website, like that's the next step because now most likely they know who you are. But if you can get them on your newsletter, like that means that they're fully committed. Like right. they want, they want to hear from you. They want to know everything that you're doing. And most likely they're willing to, to, you know, purchase something from you. Right. If you do it right, if you're not, if as long, yeah, yeah that's the thing that there's a relationship there because for example, with our newsletters, there's a double opt-in. You can't just, I can't, you can't just add, you know, uh, put your email address and you're on my newsletter. You'll get an, another email. You'll get, once you put your, you sign up on a form, you'll get an email saying, hey, are you sure, you know, I, you know, confirm, please. It's called a double opt-in, and it's part of um, uh, anti-spam uh, laws 
Um, and it's gotten even more restrictive with GDPR outside of the U.S. But my point is that these people, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very lucky, and, and so are you, um, where we've been able to amass. When you, well, anyone who's, who, who knows anything about newsletters, when you tell them like the, the subscriber counts that we have, they usually are like, oh man, that's great. Now, granted, we're paying, you know, you're paying like several hundred dollars a month to manage those subscribers, yeah, but car payment for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's actually a good, good way to put it. You know, it's not like, you know, people who complain about Photoshop or, you know, 10 bucks a month, like th this is like several hundred dollars a month and it's a business expense, but these are people who want to hear from me uh, specifically. They open the email, I have my open rates and my click rates, you know, I see this at these analytical, this analytics, and um, they, they, they want to hear from me. And so that, when I, when I put that into perspective, I thought about, okay, you know what, forget about all this other stuff. And so that's where the whole automating social media and really ref dialing back how much time I spend on it, that's where that came in, because that was becoming such a, an echo chamber where I, I would go in and I would just completely get sucked in. I would, you know, to your point, I would see someone post a photo and I'm like, I wouldn't say I could, I I'm not, I don't think mentally or, or psychologically I'm the kind of person that would say I can do that better. I'm the kind of person to be like, man, I really wish I was there. And if I know the yeah. photographer who posted it, I'll usually, you know, direct message them and say, God, I want to be there with you. Or I wish I was there. Um, I just did yeah. that with, with Aaron Bobnick. She's uh, out, I think in death Valley somewhere. And she posted an Instagram story and looked amazing. I'm like, and I'm, dying to go there with you know to shoot with her but point being that 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 is i think uh, um for for people like us that you know in this kind of business that's um uh, a require uh, you know we need to have that kind of mindset so mm -hmm. so i think so actually let's let's tie it back then let's just kind of clear up so right now you are you have a full-time job you've you, you still consider do you consider yourself a professional photographer and by whatever definition you have? I mean, I guess the definition is doing it for money, like doing it for compensation, right? See, I could define it as someone who makes, I would say, uh, if you want to consider yourself a professional photographer, you make all of your income through one form so or another. Yeah. I mean, by that de definition, then I wouldn't be. But you see, but if, go ahead. But I still have a business. I still have a corporation yep. uh, that I pay taxes on. And, um, I've already made, you know, um, a, a decent living uh, on just that, you know, since I started the other job. So it's still going. Like, do you still? Are you still going to uh, do workshops and stuff? I I tell myself I am, <laughs> and I and I made sure that when I uh, accepted this position, like through the through the interview process, I said like, hey, I, I want to make sure I'm still able to do photography on the side. They were like, absolutely. Like, that's not even an issue at all. And I was like, okay, I still want to do photography workshops too. And they're like, sure. So uh, that that was one of the big factors in, in accepting it, that I could still do this. Um, so that said, um, I'm not keeping the business up as much as I would like to. And I don't know if I sh should attribute that to a lack of drive on my part to keep it going, or if I should attribute it to just getting settled, you know, into this new position that um, this is a a video producer role. So I'm I'm creating videos for, um, like I said, it's a big church. We've got like 600 employees, like uh, 30,000 members, and our the church's reach is is worldwide, and uh, we have this. Um, part of the church called Central Ministries, uh, and I'm with Central. So we're rewriting all this content for the church and all these different ministries within the church, and I'm going to be the one that's putting those that content into video form to share with small groups and the church and, and the world. So it's a big responsibility, and um, I want to do it with excellence. So just like I was learning photography back in the day and just reading every book I could find and watching every video I could watch. Like I'm doing that with video now. I already knew video, but I wasn't where I wanted to be at all. So I'm, I'm just immersed in teaching myself video and, and getting, becoming uh, an expert at it. So 
I guess I could attribute it partly to that, just that I don't have the capacity right now to do both of them with excellence. I have to like pick one. Sure. And, um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll circle back to the photography and focus a lot more on that eventually. But right now it's, things are just so crazy. So, you know, you had said something earlier. I, um, I don't think you meant to say it that way, but it was something along the lines of like deciding that I needed to, you know, accept that I, I couldn't do that anymore. And I needed to do something more responsible for the family. Like I didn't really see it like that at all. Like I'm happier, like where I am right now than I was before I, I took the, the job. Like I'm the stuff that I'm doing is like making a difference. Like it's, you know, we're, we're helping people or creating videos that like are really um, like the content is just incredible. And it, it feels just completely different. You know, I'm not, I'm not working for myself anymore. I'm working for, for the church and, and for other people. And it's just, uh, I don't know, it's a different perspective, I guess. And I actually feel like I'm making a difference. And I took a pay cut. Like if I stopped doing the photography, like I would be making a lot less money. Um, but overall it's just, uh, it's extreme. It's been incredibly fulfilling and it's not like a job where you go and work in a cubicle and, you know, clock in and clock out at the end of the day. And it, it's, uh, it's still purely creative. Like my job is to create stuff. So, well, I think that feels, feels very similar. I think that's a, a, an ideal place to wrap it up just cause yeah. it, 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 ties a nice bow i would say and i I think that you know you you made a very interesting distinction in terms of there's money of course which clearly you know you were making a good living with when you were just doing photography solely um but there was also another kind of an unquantifiable factor in terms of personal satisfaction in your case maybe spiritual satisfaction um Mm -hmm. and so I think that's something that that it's a that at the end I I would say is the point for this episode for me is like making these kind of adult decisions, really being introspective and figuring out when you know what you know unless you're the kind of person who can do van life and just live out of a truck or uh, you know a two hundred square foot closet and that's okay by you and there is a, I think a point in life just like you said. You know, there's a time in life where you can do that, like maybe in, in your early 20s, either, short, you know, if you don't want to get a full-time job, if you, go, you know, went to college or if you didn't go to college and you just kind of want to experience there. But um, I feel like sometimes people try to cling on to this, you know, this romanticized notion of being a professional photographer and for whatever that means when maybe there there are other things you know there are decisions that you have to make where okay maybe you're not doing this full time anymore you, you know yeah. but you can there's nothing that would stop you from pursuing your photography on your terms now you know yes you can you still can do your workshops and stuff but you also have the freedom to mm-hmm. you know i know that you were getting like you would do like there're only so many times you can go to arches national park or Death Valley National Park, you know, where it's not solely for you. Because if, uh, like any yeah. good workshop leader knows, it's not about you. Um, yeah. and, and so you kind of go through these motions. Whereas if you're practicing photography, it's really kind of, there's a lot more, um, you know, you have to be in your space and, and focus on on what you're doing and not other people. So, so right. I, for, you know, obviously as, as a very, you know, one of my closest friends and everything, I'm very happy to hear that, you know, your everything is, is going swimmingly with all of you guys. And um, I guess with that, why don't you tell people where they can find you if they want to learn more about you? Jamesb.com. Nice. So that's my website. Um, haven't updated it in a while, <laughs> but before too long, I'll, I'll get around to that. And, um, but yeah, you can find me there. Uh, my newsletter, um, I do send that out. Um, I try to send that out like maybe once a month right now. Sure. And, um, just keep the pulse going. Yeah. You can get on social media too, but 
yeah i not see much from me there <laughs> and that's okay um well james you know thank you so much for uh for, for joining me and for being so candid uh sharing you yeah. know your life uh i hope that this resonates with with, with people out there uh, again you can you can find james at by going to his website which is nice kind of succinct jamesb.com as for me you can find me at uh, matias.com m-a-t-i-a-s-h.com i am on social pretty actively as far as putting content out i'm at brian matias there and of course uh the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com you can find all the information uh, about James, about what we talked about. And uh, with that, uh, I want to thank everyone for listening and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the No Name Photo Show. Don't forget to check out the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com and be sure to subscribe in whichever app you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss a beat. Let's do this again next time.